Hey and welcome to Pip Permaculture Podcast number 11, coinciding nicely with a sneak preview at issue 11 of the magazine, which is out next month. In this podcast, Jodie Vaniti speaks with Pip editor Robin Rosenfeld about her family's year eating completely from their garden. Jodie is an inspiring person living permaculture in Fremantle, WA, and her beautiful home features in issue 11 out in June 2018. We hope you enjoy this podcast and get a little inspired by Jodie's down-to-earth story. Enjoy. Welcome to the Pip Permaculture Podcast. Today we're talking with Jodie Vanetti from Fremantle in WA. Hi Jodie, thanks for having a chat with us today. How are you? Good, thanks. Um, So two years ago you set yourself and your daughters the challenge of only eating fruit and vegetables from the garden for a year. And at the time you were studying in a single mum. So could you tell us how that went and if you were actually able to do that? Um, Yeah, it was um, sort of, it was an interesting experiment um, and one that was sort of started uh, because I was planting a garden. I'd bought a place that just had grass front and back and um, was planting a lot of edibles but not finding the time to actually harvest. And um, so I thought, well, what better way to do it than if I only eat the fruit and veg that I could actually grow and not go to the shop. So I, I tried to put myself in a position where I could force myself to actually eat from the garden um, and just started from there. So it, it, it was really, and I thought, well, I'll try it for a year. I'll put myself into that challenge. Um, didn't think much more about it except for that. So that was just sort of to meet that that particular need. Um, and just over the year, it, it, at first it's starting to look at things and a lot of research to go, okay, that pumpkin plant, is it just the pumpkin that I can eat? You know, can mm-hmm. I eat the leaves? Frangipanis, oh, wow, I can eat the frangipani flowers. And, yeah, so from there it was a lot of experiment and then it just became normal. Mm, so it was it was very, very educational mm. on so, so many different areas. Did you kind of prepare for it or did you just jump in the deep end? Like did you sort of make sure, okay, I've got lots of food, I'm ready to go, or did you just go, oh, jump in, try deep. and see what happens? Deep end, <laughs> absolutely deep end. I think if I'd actually thought about it beforehand, I think the magnitude uh, would have actually gone, oh, no, I've got to plan it out, I've got to have this planted on that day, and it would have been too yeah. many jobs that needed to be done which would have prevented me from starting so I I just started and pretty much looked at what I actually had Mm. and just did a lot of research and I'm looking at each one and then and sort of studying a lot of other countries and how they actually ate food especially traditional um cultures they use so much more of the plants than we do. Mm. Um, like brassicas, we just go straight for the broccoli heads, and uh, but you, the leaves are all edible as well. So, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So, what what other cultures did you look at, and what what were the Italian culture oh, was yeah. a very one, um, and especially the, the way the Italian culture everything is social. So, a lot of the jobs that needed to be done around is actually done as a group, so mm. it's not really work. Um, and particularly how every part of the plant is used or, or animal as well. Um, and a lot of Asian cultures, so um, a lot of the recipes seem to be a lot of closer to the earth, so a lot fresher. 
Yeah. And I can yeah. bulk things up with a lot of like sweet potato leaves. Everything gets bulked up with sweet potato leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for the sweet yeah. potato. So did you, <laughs> did you have to, what was the sort of like change your routine and the way that you like your lifestyle to kind of, because I guess you don't have to worry about going out shopping, but then you've got to spend more time in the garden. So what were the sort of main changes that you had to make to make it well, work? I was, I was already spending the time in the garden um, maintaining it and so it was actually just making sure that as I would, was going around, I was actually harvesting instead of looking at something and going, oh, I'll come back and get you later. Mm. Um, it was I had a basket with me and there was always a bench um, in the the sort of laundry where everything went to, and that was my produce area. Oh yeah, that's a good so, idea. Yeah, and so I, I actually yeah. you need the food at dinner time. Going, oh, what is that? There was there was a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of that as well. Yeah. But once you sort of view it differently, view your garden differently, you become more intimately connected with it, mm. um, and you you knew what was going on. You knew what plant was being attacked, what plant wasn't, and you you knew what was coming up um, because you had to rely on that. Um, and that sort of connection to your garden was is something that I, I still have now. Um, mm. Even though I'm not doing it as strict, it, it you just you you just go straight to your garden for stuff. Yeah. And it makes my financial sense. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Financial sense. <laughs> so did you find you saved a lot of money on food? Yeah, I wasn't going to the shop all the time, and mm. I, and so I very rarely like my house was basics, um, and I, I have a deep freezer, so there was a lot of stuff in there. So I didn't, I wasn't at the shop, and I think I was going to the shop a lot before because of the fresh produce, and then I'm always looking at that crisper in the bottom of the fridge in some various forms of liquid mess in the bottom which was like oh, to use that and um yeah. so that that wasn't becoming part of the equation so you were you were using a lot more because you were having to grow it it was that it was now valuable mm. Whereas before um because it only cost me say two dollars from a shop you didn't have a value on it mm. So could you describe your garden to us? Um, my garden is on a 728 square metre um, block in Kubla and it was originally when I bought it, it had no trees. It was grass front and back. Mm. And so after the first year, which was when I started the challenge, I had transplanted a couple of mature fruit trees so I had sort of an orange tree I had lots of little banana pups around lots of sweet potato um various little garden beds like that would have so I was modeling on the food forest approach so yeah. trying to get the canopy up the tree yeah. canopy up and then having the various layers with so like I'd have my silver beets um the sweet potatoes going around at the bottom so I was creating lots of paths and they all have limestone rock edges and so you can sort of meander it was actually a comment one person said it's like you get to your back door 
and you have choices. You've got three directions that you can go, and then you take three steps, and then there's three directions to go. Mm, and beautiful. I think they're used to going into a back garden, and it's like it opens up, and you just see the patch of lawn, and there's not really an adventure that you can go on, whereas my back garden you can sort of walk through into different rooms, and you've always got access to each garden bed quite easily. Mm. So did you – did permaculture inform that design of your garden? Very much, very much. And I did actually visit um, Michelle and Dario at Jeddo's Patch oh, yeah. before I started. Um, and yeah, their they, like those that guys too, with lots of little paths oh, going through it. Very much. And they, uh, if I hadn't actually visited them beforehand, I would have um, designed it probably of what I've been raised with. Um, so sort of going there and having a look at it and how intricate it was as well. It was like, oh, okay, I can cram a lot more in. Mm. And, um, yeah, so they were very key to, to my journey as well. Yeah, they've got an amazing garden. And you're looking mm. at um, yeah. the video of your place, looking down, you can see the gardens next to you are just sort of dry yeah, yeah. Grass, and then there's yeah. this oasis in the middle of yeah. food and life. Yeah, well, 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 what's happened since then in two years, because Kubelup's just going through a transition um, and they're calling it a revitalisation, so they're changing the zoning to um, help with the urban infill. So the house next door to me has been bulldozed down and I now have seven two-storey units on the same size block wow. on my south side. So thankfully it's on my south side. Oh, yeah. But I think the um, the block next door, my north side, which makes me a little bit nervous, mm. will be the same thing as well. So, um, seven two blocks. story blocks, two okay. story units. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So, so I'm furiously planting acacias and fast growing trees <laughs> on that side, so I can keep my um, privacy. Yeah, totally. So, what what what's the climate that you're living in, and what what are your soils like? What, well, we're on um, coastal sands over here and we have an incredibly gutless soil and hydrophobic as well. So you pour water onto it and you can watch it sit in this little bubble at the top mm. and it won't go through. So it's important to make sure that our actual soils don't really dry out. So mulching over here is incredibly important yeah. um, and to make sure that we've really got um, that humus matter coming in so it actually retains that moisture. So there was a lot of, um, like I mulch every year and quite thick. Um, and I have learned, uh, it was actually during that year I had mulched at the beginning of summer and I'd actually realised that mulch can be an advantage and also a disadvantage because I actually lost a couple of trees by mulching, mm-hmm. putting the mulch on the top. It actually prevented the moisture from going through because oh, yeah. the mulch dry and it was actually soaking it up so there's been so many things that I've done I've learned from my own failures and sitting there and going why are you dying but I'm watering you and then sort of down and going oh you know that the soil's dried up and then the mulch has dried up and it's just not getting through so it's learning how to to water which is the most efficient way and um but we're actually really lucky over here climate wise um it's actually changing we've had the last couple of years we've had a lot milder summers mm. and more rains and it used to be quite a brutal summer and um Would you so call it mediterranean it, i think it is the mediterranean uh, that we we actually do have we're sort of getting a little bit colder winters yeah normal so 
there are what it, what it was traditionally. It is changing, and for my garden, for the better. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So no, it's um it, the the things that have been hard, you can actually turn around quite easily. Mm. So what what are the main things that you've got growing? Can you tell us all the different things that you've got growing in your garden and what you live off? Yes. Um, well, last night we we actually had Vietnamese for dinner, and so we were harvesting lemongrass, uh, pea eggplants, um, banana flowers, mm. and I've got bananas at the moment, and um, banana stems. So from front to back we've got trees, I've got two apricots, pecan, uh, peach, nectarines, um, uh, frangipanis because I've, I've actually been enjoying the frangipani omelettes and making frangipani wine. Oh, yeah. uh, so we've got grapes. Um, I've, I grow acacia as well. I've got avocado, mangoes. Um, I've got walnuts. Um, I grow sweet potato absolutely everywhere. It just makes the place look really pretty in summer, so mm. really tropical looking. Yeah. Um, and it's a great living um Mulch, uh, ground cover mulch. Yeah. So, um, I have galangal, mm-hmm. turmeric, mm-hmm. uh, gingers, uh, pepino. Um, I've got sweet leaf. Uh, oh, it's hard. Oh, mint everywhere. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mint everywhere. Um, so I've got some brassicas that are still they've um this. They're actually becoming more productive in my house in the summer than a winter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so we've got carrot, carrots, all your annuals that sort of throughout and, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say it sounds like a lot of perennials but you have some annuals as well. We have, we have some anim, annuals and um, I'm part of the Frio Permi group and I'm, I'm surrounded by people very similar to me and we're, we are systems thinker um, and we work full-time and trying to do this. So annuals take a lot of work, mm, yeah. <laughs> whereas perennials, um, they, once you get that going, they, they pretty much go and, and reward. So there's a lot of discussion and research around what different perennial plants we can actually put into our system for that, for that reason mm. and also changing, adapting how we actually eat those too because our diets are very annual-based. Yeah. So. So it's looking at those different perennials and, and going, are they viable? Uh, they do because I've got such a small space. I have to be careful that if I do put a plant in there that's uh, two metres across, you're taking up a lot of space. Mm. Are you going to, you know, sort of have the yield to justify that? Um, yeah, so and looking at the different purposes or uh, that each plant does So because sometimes I, I'll have it, because I was very um, a, a bit of an edible snob when I started, <laughs> that yeah. everything in the garden had to be an edible, and or else it was not going to not going to be there. Yeah. Um, and I've adapted that a bit because edible is just one aspect, but it's nice to have something there because it looks pretty. Yeah. Um, like I've started to plant a lot more flowers now. Um, uh, for for being pretty but I have a beehive as well so yeah. um for the bees um and looking at a different aspect too mm. so and, you, and if you're not having to harvest you don't have to do the work <laughs> so, yeah. 
So which perennials do you think would you recommend to people who are wanting to just eat more from their garden but haven't necessarily got the time to keep on top of all the annuals and the regular planting? Um, sweet potato. Sweet potato. <laughs> Definitely, sweet potato is your friend, and and it, there's there's this when you say to somebody and you're showing the sweet potato and you, you're taking around the garden and you hand them a leaf, it's like yeah, it's edible. Have a look at the leaf. You know, that's yeah. actually your, your low lying fruit, and and um, people are fascinated by that. It, it's something that's quick, it's simple, and it's so prolific, and it just twines itself everywhere. And yeah, so it not just for the sweet potato, but it's so rewarding when you dig up a sweet potato and it's the size of a watermelon. Mm. And that's going to feed me for a week, yeah. <laughs> which is really good. Um, and I love banana bananas. Bananas are like I can walk through the garden and I can grab – if I've got a plant that needs to be tied up, I just go to the nearest banana and I just take one of the um, dried stems off twist it into a rope and I've got my twine for the garden. So, mm, great. so yeah, so you, you make your baskets out of that. You make your, your rope and your twine. Um, it gives you your, the fruit. Uh, they grow really quickly. So any new garden bed that I put in, I'll put banana pups in because um, it just fills it up straight away. Mm. Um, and you eat the banana flowers. You eat the banana stems um, and the bananas itself. And the leaves look really good on a dinner table when you're yeah, sitting out yeah. the middle center. <laughs> so, yeah, and it, it just makes the garden look really tropical. So is mm. there anything during that year? Or I mean, you're obviously keeping on with that, maybe not quite as strictly, but was there yeah. anything that you really missed that you couldn't grow yourself but you wanted to keep eating? Yes. Yes. Um, avocados. Mm. I really missed avocados because I didn't have any. Um but it was interesting because my, my daughters weren't really much of a fruit and veg eaters and not that I've really had a difficulty with them, but I actually found that my daughter was smuggling in bananas into that. <laughs> so it was like, where's this banana come from? I was like, I, I bought it from Dad's house. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, that's not what you're meant to be doing. That's cheating. <laughs> it's like, Mom, I need a banana. You don't know how much I need a banana. <laughs> so, and so it actually changed their perspective towards uh, fruit and veg as well. And and I had um, my, daughter, my oldest daughter um, – she had written up a little blurb, so she'd gone out and thought, right, I'm going to do this because I was, I was the driving force for it. Um, and so she wanted to make rice paper rolls and so she was, her and the dog went out into the garden and she's written up this little blurb about, okay, right, so we found this and I'm not sure if I can eat it. And so yeah. she ended up coming back and she's taken a photograph of all the stuff that she's done. Okay. So that becomes a little an adventure, you know, it's – there's so much fun to be had in the garden as well. Yeah. And how did the girls go with it? Were they okay with Oh, My, my youngest daughter, Amber, she struggled with it and yeah. um, she would try to convince her, like, come on, Mum, buy fruit in the <laughs> shop, just buy fruit. <laughs> Can't do this. <laughs> so, um, you didn't give and, it yeah, they Yeah, so she was like the typical teenage eye-rolling, okay, Mum, <laughs> whatever. But my oldest daughter, she sort of bought into it a lot more. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I think she was sharing a lot of stories at school about, you know, the weird things we were doing at home and, yeah. So. And you were saying that one of the teachers then wanted to speak to you about it. What was that? Yes, yes. We, um, 
And my daughter came home from school one day and with a little business card and said, one of the teachers wants to talk to you. And my first reaction is, okay, what have you done? And um, she's like, no, 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 mum, it's because we're weird. And <laughs> because I was just doing these things and because and I, I, I was lucky enough that I had this space completely to myself and so I could go in my direction. And so I was doing um, – making my own toothpaste. Uh, we were, I'd even thought, I'm going to make a moss mat in the bathroom. So I'm growing little moss experiments. Oh, in the yeah. So she's obviously going to school and relaying this to, to a teacher. And she's like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. And she's like, yeah, you know, our pets are the fish that we're going to eat um, and the chickens. You've got toothpaste on the go. You've got moss in here. And she's like, so we're weird. And it was <laughs> that, that kind of penny drop moment was like oh I was just finding sort of researching old old arts kind of thing things are new but I hadn't realized it was so different that you were classed as weird which is which is now weirdly normal yeah yeah Yeah. and now that they're a bit older are they have they sort of embraced that style of living or are they rebelling um no definitely not rebelling my youngest daughter she's she's struggled with it a little bit more but her first share house it was funny she took me with her and said can you come and check out this place I'm you know I want to go into a share house and the place that she was was the other student at university was an environmental um student and they had a permaculture garden in the back garden (laughs) and I was like oh this is perfect so she goes from from a permaculture place to a permaculture place so she she's doesn't really sort of have anything to do with it but my oldest daughter she's in Canberra ANU and um so she's also done exchange over to Canada so she's sharing a lot of the stories and there's always like mum you have to come over and meet the students they really want to meet you and I'll show you the video and yeah so I I think there's a lot of the younger generation are wanting to to do things a little bit differently and and anything like that is cool whereas it's the older generation sort of ingrained it's a bit of an eye roll Mm. (laughs) yeah and how did you go as far as meat and other products like that do you do you eat meat firstly and do you grow your own in any way yeah i um we do eat meat we do eat meat um and but for me, I also study, um, I do a Bachelor of Sustainability as well, and that was one of the, the things that I sort of um, changed. So it's made me look at the world a bit differently and my impact on that. And so if I'm going to eat meat um, as much as possible, like I raise my chickens for meat as well as um, eggs and fertiliser and all sorts of other things. Mm. Uh, so that that was actually a really difficult journey for me to do because I thought well if I'm going to have chickens I want if something happens I, I haven't got somebody else there I can go can you please kill the chicken <laughs> and uh, so I, I had to get myself and it it's taken about two and a half years where I can comfortably actually it, it's we call it processing yes. uh, we don't really call it killing yeah. um but it's it's raising the animal and, and, and actually making sure that that's had a really good life. And um, there's a group of uh, women we get together and we do a processing day and, and it's like um, we have Sass from Swan Valley and, and Megan from Wellard and, um, oh, God, she's going to kill Lauren as well. So we all come together and we haven't seen each other for like three, four months. And so it's this weirdly 
beautiful women's business and we, mm. we go around and it's mm. making sure that everything part of that is done well, and if I choose to eat meat, that's how I do it. Or I, I like to, because obviously pork, I can't have a pig in the area that I'm doing. So it's getting to know that producer um, and and how they're, they're raising. Go out and sort of, you know, shake a hand and have a look at what they're doing and and support them and and sort of making sure it's done well. Um, that I've and I, I actually try to have that mentality with not just the meat aspect. So any other produce that I do, like olive oil, um, I could probably pick and get it myself. But if I can produce someone who's doing something really well locally, because mm. you can't do everything yourself, you can't. Um, so it's actually making sure that we hook into other people's systems who are doing really amazing work, like Southampton. Um, mm. What they do. Um, raising the chickens so we've actually gone down as a group um, and stayed with them and got to know what they're doing gave them a hand on the farm and so now when you go and actually buy a chicken from them you have that story it means so much more so your food is no longer just something that you've just bought from Coles or Woolies or IGA it's it's it has a story. Mm. Mm. And in that way it's, a, it's about being self-sufficient as a community, isn't it, rather than trying to do everything yourself, do Very what much. you do well and then exchange yeah. with others that grow something else. And that, that's a huge thing, a huge part of mine is I could not do it on my own. Um, I could sit there and I could work my fingers to the bone and do it all, but for what? Yeah. What if, like, being a part of the Fremantle, the Freo Permies, we share stories, we get together. Everyone else in the Freo Permis knows my garden as intimately as I do and I know theirs and, mm. you know, whenever you visit people, there's always, here you go, here's some veggies and or I've got some extra eggs and things like that as well. So there was a lot of that that would come into the house as well. So you, you go back to that traditional sharing of produce. But it's when because you do, you go through periods where you, you get tired and you're like, you're exhausted and am I doing the right thing? And you go to a, a social catch-up with the permies and you hear what they're doing and it re-energises you. Yeah. That's how you get your energy back. And, um, yeah, so it's vital. It's like refueling. Mm. And what yeah. are some of the exchanges, bartering that you have with some of your people that live nearby? <laughs> uh, well, I barter my eggs for wine. So. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a really good Good one. Um, and um, so, yeah, my eggs get bartered for wine. Um, but a lot of it, I've done a little bit of bartering online, oh, okay. but I don't, my bar, my produce, I don't really barter with. Mm. Um, it's gifting. It's okay. more of a gifting yeah. thing. It's like I, I get more out of giving my produce to somebody or get, like when I harvest honey, like, like I, I harvest a frame last weekend. Um, and I think I've got about three and a half, four kilos of honey. Yeah. And I've looked at the stocks this morning of what I've got on the shelf and I've only got one little tub left because I've given it all away. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, and I get so excited. So I've gone and given some to Tony at work and that and I've done this and I've done that. And and I prefer to do that. Yeah. That, it's just, yeah, I'm sharing it. When people will ask a story or and I have the food, it's very cool up on the verge too so it's you it's sharing on that. tell us about the food is free fruit the food is free um because we've got massive verges in kublap they're um uh, i think it's 15 meters long 
mm. across the road and eight metres deep. Um, yes. And they're pretty much just grassed. And so uh, I actually stupidly went and asked the council if I could do stuff with it and that, that um, didn't go down so well. So I, oh, I, really? planned, I started the Food is Free anyway. Um, but because they, I was a bit worried that they were going to bulldoze or, or take away what we'd done. So we'd actually built a veggie cart, which is movable. Okay. So it's, the, it's got the nice little pitched roof and it was built out of an old um, dog kennel and it's been put some wagon wheels on it and it looks really good. So that sits out on my verge. And there's a Facebook page, which is the Food is Free Kubler, which I don't pay enough attention to. Um, <laughs> but it is actually built up its own life now. So everyone just drops produce off onto the veggie cart and it's free for everyone to take. Right. And everything that I've grown on that verge is free for, for people to that's, – that's grown for everyone. Okay. Um, so, so you can grow on the verge? Yes. Yes, you can grow. Um, I'd gotten to a point that the, the council – because the current policies that we have prevent from doing a lot of good things. So I was encouraging the council to actually look at their policies and um, update them or make them a little bit – they still have to make sure that things like line of sight is protected because it's it's a safety issue mm. um, and making sure that there's access to services and things like that as well. But it's, it's then going, okay, right, we're going to have a bit of – Faith. Some people are going to do the wrong thing. You always get that no matter what mm. and, and deal with that as it happens but allowing people to sort of do something differently. So I've got, I've got um, trees on mine uh, which is like a mulberry, olive, um, two mangoes, uh, right. I think a peach, frangipanis um, and then lo- like lots of lavenders, lots of sweet potato. Oh, um, cool. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, basil and I know that one of the ladies across the road she was she wanted some sage so I've planted some sage for her so they will pop over and they'll pick bits and pieces and um yeah so from that it's I've gotten to know my neighbors a lot better because mm. so, I'm out there all the time pottering on the garden and it's funny because the councils they have this concern like you know this is going to cause uh, a safety issue and, you know, it's a security issue and all this kind of thing. And I get home and my neighbour across the road, and she's, she'll tell me who's been at my house that day, and you know, because yeah. so she's keeping So it's actually become more safe. Yeah. Um, so people are starting to watch out what people are doing and and having that conversation that they would have done once upon a time. And, you know, there's one lady who comes every Sunday morning at 7.30 and she now comes in and have, we, we have a, a chat in the yarn and she's she's become a, a really large part of my life and, and mine hers and she takes a lot of the produce and she turns it into preserves and pickles and mm. it comes back in a, a jar and, yeah, so I would not have met her if it wasn't for the Food is Free Kubala. Um and it's just utilising that, that space. So... It's it's been fantastic, and that's I put that in because I was looking at all the principles for permaculture as well as the the um like from a sustainability perspective, and it was the social side as well. Like, okay, how do I how do I interact with my local community, um you know who who my neighbours are, and then how do I um then interact with the frio permies, and how do I contribute? Um, and I, I think that's an important conversation because mm. we have we have a society that 
we don't have that connection. We have high anxiety, depression, people feeling really lonely in busy cities and, and if we can do things to help each other and, you know, have something beautiful just around the corner from you, I think we certainly need that as a society. Definitely, creating that connection between each other. Yeah, yeah. I think that is the great thing about in an urban setting, you are all right yeah. next to each other and you do need yeah. to rely on each other because you've got smaller amounts of land. And Yep. And we're all so different. That's the beautiful thing. Yeah. It's so different. And I think if you've got that rapport between you, when shit happens, mm. <laughs> you're more inclined to handle it with love. Yeah. Opposed to being aggressive, so it doesn't always work. But, yeah. <laughs> but you, you've got that to build on. Mm. Yeah. So if someone else was sort of thinking about starting up, you know, giving it a go, trying to just yes. change their habits and start just eating from their garden a bit more, what would you recommend for them, or what they should do, or Definitely how to start? Start small. Definitely start small. Don't don't. Um, go too big too quick so it becomes this chore um, mm. that you end up not loving. Um, look at who, who are your who are you going to do this journey with? Um, most There's a lot of people that I found in permaculture that come to it is one person's very, okay, right, I'm into this. Mm. And then the other part is sort of, yeah, I don't really, I don't know. So you have to find your energy. Yeah. And is that going to be from a local permaculture group? If you haven't got one, do you start one? So then, or do you hook into an online one as well? So like um, Jedo's patch for us over here is just fantastic and you've got your Frio permies and you've got all these kind of things. So you can actually share your stories and put your photos up of, um, you know, your first, oh, we, we do have this one, one girl. Um, Diane and she's she's absolutely amazing and she's grown her first eggplant and I'm sitting at the farmer's market and it's like she's had her first baby and she's <laughs> going through and she's showing me the photographs and she's got this tablet and she's like this is my eggplant from this angle and this is my eggplant from this angle and, and she's so proud of this first eggplant yeah. and if, if you don't have anything to share that with you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. if you show someone yeah. who doesn't know the journey and understands, it's just like, okay, you are weird. And um, <laughs> whereas if you show people who completely understand your baby eggplant photos and, yeah, um, yeah and then the, the, the piece that she had, and it's making sure you, you have that. That I think is the most important thing and then plant your garden. Yeah. Yeah. And just dive in the so deep end like you did. Dive in the deep end. Dive in the deep end. You could. There's so many different aspects of these systems. It, it, permaculture isn't just gardening. It's actually looking at your system as a whole. It mm. could be what waste goes into the house. How can I prevent less things? And there's a lot of people who say, but I've, I've only got a unit and I've only got a balcony. Find a community garden. Mm. Um, you know, if, you, if you're in a complex, does, is there a verge? Is there this gorilla garden? You know, think outside the square. Have fun with it. Have adventures. You know, watch, plant some sunflower seeds on a verge somewhere and, you know, have a bit of a smile every time you walk past and see them coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Well, good on you for doing that. And it's great to hear about your journey. And I think it's a really inspiring story because I think anyone can do it really if you've got a bit of land, even if it's a small garden, you can give it a go. And even if it's not every fruit and veggie, it's, if you try and make it the majority and change your habits and yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there like, like for instance, me, I've got 728 square metres for one person now because my daughters are, are no longer at home. That is a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of people like me saying, hey, this is too much for me on my own. Yeah. Do you, do you want to come and share my garden? We'll work together and we'll share the produce. Mm. Um, I do know a lot of that are actually looking at that as well. So we're actually starting to look at our systems and going, okay, it is too much for us. But yeah. instead of just going it's too much and sell, let's – Let's be smart and think outside the square. So you may be able to find in a permaculture group, put it on mm. to one of the Facebook pages and go, I haven't got any space. Does anyone want to, you know, share some land? Yeah. I'll come and help you. Yeah, mm. definitely. Yeah. Or people with, yeah, like I'm in that position with lots of land and it's like, yeah, you need help because there's always so much to do. That, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then, better. Yeah. More hands the better. So, and if you've got space, maybe try HelpEx where they can come in. That's yeah. actually been really good for me in the past as well. Um, yeah, so it, it's thinking outside the square to each problem that you come up against or hurdle and going, okay, right, there's got to be some other problem somewhere elsewhere that we can put the two together and mm. create a solution. Mm. Good yeah. systems thinking. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay, well, thanks a lot, Jodie, for the chat. And, um, yeah, good luck with it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks. <laughs> you have been listening to the Pick Permaculture Podcast. If you haven't already, now is the time to subscribe to get issue 11 of Pip Permaculture Magazine hot off the press in June 2018. The issue features a heap of permaculture goodness, including an article with all the details of just how Jodie grows all her own. To subscribe, visit www.pitmagazine.com.au.